What's up, guys? Welcome to Get Rich or Get Drunk Trying, the podcast that helps aspiring bosses go from nine to fives to seven-figure CEOs. I am your host, Asia Abstin, former bartender turned serial entrepreneur and coach to over 2,000 students. And I am on a mission to help you manifest your dream life, 10X your salary, and step into every room like you own the place. Each week, my guest and I will cover everything money, business, and mindset related to push you to be your absolute best self. You will also be getting financial literacy tips, game-changing perspectives, and passive income plays to impact your confidence and your bottom line. You'll learn how to work smarter, not harder, stop sleeping on your own potential, and climb the success ladder cocktail in hand. Are you ready? Let's get it. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Get Rich or Get Drunk Trying. Grab a notebook because I'm about to teach you how to make a million dollars. Like right now, if you are in e-commerce, it is time to tap in. I have the one and only Gamal Codner with me today. Welcome, Gamal. What's up? <laughs> Glad to be here. They can't hear you when you give them a peace sign. <laughs> I know. I just gave y'all a peace sign. My bad. <laughs> yes, for anybody who is not listening, I am so pumped that you are on today. I've been stalking you for at least two years. It took me like six invitations to get you to show up, but mission accomplished. So shout out to me for being persistent just to kick this shout the show off. Shout out to off. you. Yes. Amen. Um, for anybody who does not know you, how can we give them a, like your career is so big to me, but how can we give them a quick note on who you are and how you got started in e-commerce? Yeah, my real quick um, kind of 60 second version is I was born in Jamaica, family came here, did the whole corporate vibe for a little bit and hated it, even though I was making six figures in my 20s. But from someone coming from Jamaica, you can't really say that out loud because like you've reached, right? And so um, I spent a couple of years trying to figure out how to do something and it sucked. Uh, in two years, I made about 8K in side income and you don't need to be good at math to realize you can't leave a hundred plus thousand dollar a year job for 4,000 a year. So I ran into my buddy who was doing Facebook ads at the time. He was doing something called affiliate marketing, which is essentially drop shipping for um, skincare and healthcare products. And I was like, yo, I just, I need to learn. So I took a week off, went to his house and the rest was history. My first 90 days working with him, I made $107,000 in profit, uh, in my essentially drop shipping store, which allowed me to learn how to do Facebook ads, which I got up to like five and $10,000 a day on spend. And that eventually got me away from corporate. I eventually got to do, you know, six figures a month on my own. And then I did a whole bunch of things in between. Uh, but most notably, and most recently, I launched my own brand. I wanted to create something real after I had all the experience with an agency or drop shipping. And so I um, started my own brand with my family and we grew that and sold it in four years. And so I took a little break and now I'm back at it. Mm, that is quite the resume. Shout out to affiliate marketing. Shout out to drop shipping. Some of my favorite industries to get into the Get Rich crew, they know me. I am all about working smarter and not harder. So I am a big, big fan of those. And then shout out to six figures a month. Like I haven't touched that money yet. 
I'm manifesting it for 2023. I think that's where life get real good, right? When you hit six figures in sales or profit a month, that's when life starts to change dramatically, I would say. Yeah. When you start thinking like, man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make six figures a year and that becomes a month or, you know, a couple of weeks, it's different because you're like, damn, I've been thinking small this whole time. And then also like you just have more mental clarity. When we sold our brand, uh, the moments after that was the most clear and like stress free I've ever been. Because even as an entrepreneur, when you make money, it's like highs and lows, right? And so you make some and then you have seasons of slow months or you mess up, you make some, take some L's. And then you're always like the average, right? And so your average may be 10K, then you start making that and you raise your average. So now maybe 40 or 50K, but it always goes down. When I sold my business and we had like all that, that money hit the account, um, when you cash out on your brand, you could probably make like 80% of the total earnings of your brand the day you sell. So like whatever you've made so far, that's like 20%. And the math says that when you sell, it's like 4X more than all of your entire earnings. So it's a lot of money. It's like what you would make in five years all at once. And so that for the first time, I was like stress-free and just yeah. chilling. And so each level, each level you get, is just like more comfort. Like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm comfortable. I could finally make real decisions instead of like financial decisions. I could do what's right. best for me regardless of how much it costs, so on and so forth. So it's I good. love that. And that's really what I promote to my people. Like people, um, they kind of butt heads with me often because I talk about money so much. But the thing is, I want our people, my people to get out of survival mode. We just survive and we just doing what we need to do to get the job done so that paycheck comes. But you don't have room and space in your life to grow, to develop, to pour into your community, to pour into your family because the rent is due on Monday. So I really, I talk about that constantly so that people can get in that space of mental clarity where you can do things where you can thrive, where you can really build the life you want because we are not robbing Peter to pay Paul every 72 hours. Like I am a big fan of that. We're going to talk more about that. But first I want to do a bit of, um, I want to do some definitions because I think that people get confused with growing, scaling and exiting. Can you like give us a breakdown of what it means to grow a business, scale a business, and then eventually exit? I think that's a new term for my audience. Yeah. And so I'm all about all three. And so growing is, I would say like up to 100K a year, maybe like, you know, two, two, two fifty a year. That's when you're trying to figure out product market fit, which product you should be selling, who the, the avatar is, who's going to use it the best. And I had a coaching program for that pretty much on the side as I ran my business, because unlike a lot of other people, I made 90% of my money from like actually running the business. So the coaching thing was like, you just kind of my way to help people along the way. And that's mostly what I've, I've helped founders on. And then once you find like your one to two products, because you only really need one, one good product doing 20 to 30 sales a day at $30 uh, per transaction to hit like six figures. Yes. So one product that's selling 30 of them a day for $30. Yes. Right. It's simple. One product, $30 a day, 30 of them per day. That's 360K a year. So what I'm talking about is really just finding one product and one type of person in the world that needs it. And then once you do that, you need to now scale. And this involves systems. And so I have now created a program around systems and exits. And so with the systems piece, you don't have a business if you're the only one in the company who knows how to do stuff. 
you need to start taking your visionary ideas out of your head into some SOPs, into some documents and hiring other people to do it because you don't want to have a million dollar business if you're working 14, 15 hours a day because you just created a golden prison, right? Yep. You're still a prisoner to this trophy that you created. And so the scale part is all about having repeatable processes that can run without you so that you can start um, enjoying the fruits of your labor. And then the exit piece now, that's the kind of final pinnacle. And this is when you've created something so valuable that and it runs without you that you can then sell it to someone, hopefully a bigger company, and they'll be able to take what you've built and scale it even more. And now we're talking about global, international, retail, things like that, that the average founder has no business doing if you're not, you, know, you don't have a lot of money invested into your brand. Because it takes a lot of money to get to that point. Oh, I bet. So many gems in that right there. I want to amp on, you can get to six figures with one product at 30 sales a day. Like, I hope that Get Rich Crew you are tapping into that because so many people want to sell everything. They want 500 things and each thing needs to be a thousand dollar sale a piece. And it's just not true. The math ain't math. And it's so much easier to grab that $30 sale. And not only that, if you need 30 people to buy from you every day, guess what? It's 8 billion people on the planet. That is, that can't be more than 0.0000001% of human beings. So stop tapping into your friends and family and exhausting your sorors, begging them to buy from you. You only need 30 people out of 8 billion. I think that is a massive takeaway. And then the other component that I love that you said is building a gold, a golden prison. Like if you have a business that's making money, but you are the only person that can do anything in that business, you don't own a business, you own a job. And it's okay to own a job, but you could own a business where you have help and you have teams and you have SOPs and you have all the things and they don't have to be super scary. Make yourself a Loom video and record it and record all your processes so that you can hire some help. I think that is big, 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 big. Listen up, get rich crew. Okay, so when it's time to scale, right? Th this is my question. What is the biggest step you would recommend for somebody to do to go from the growth phase to the scale phase? They're making 250K. They're ready to turn this up. What is the next thing that they need to get accomplished? All right. So the biggest problem that people make here, I'll start with that, is they feel like scale involves doing more shit for lack of better words, right? <laughs> And so scale is not about doing more shit. Scale is about doing the same exact thing that's working and just doing that more efficiently and outsourcing that to more people. And I'll give you some examples. Um, so now I work with purely six figure founders who are trying to build seven figure brands. And the big thing with them is they got to exit the day to day and put some systems in place. And then the bigger companies, they're interested in getting an investor or exiting. But with both of them, six or seven figure brands, what I find is that in the past year, their sales have been down, which most people sales have been. But when you start digging into it, I'm like, all right, well, what changed? Oh, well, you know, this website was working good. So I got this new theme. Oh, was well, that around the same time your convergence tanked? Oh, yeah. Oh, I hadn't hey, even thought about this that. This website was performing great. So I changed it. Got it. Yep. Sounds about right. The yep. conversion rate was so good. I just had to fuck it up. Got it. I'm like, okay, well, what was the, what was the rationale behind that? Oh, our customers got tired of it. Okay. 
Did all they right. tell you that so they signed of it or did you make that up? No. <laughs> yeah. It's all in our head. And I'm guilty of this too, right? This is a lot of this is me talking to the mirror. And the other thing is, oh, well, we were doing social. Everyone's talking about TikTok. So now I'm going to go learn TikTok ads. Okay. Well, social is working fine for you. So how is social now? And what happens is when you, they take their eye off the prize and go do something else, they suck at that. They're mediocre. And the thing that they were good at, they're not giving it any attention because the new thing is frustrating. And so the thing that you were originally good at starts performing way less. And the thing that you're trying to learn, you suck at it. And so the thing about scale is you got to make sure that you have inventory of what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and what makes revenue. If if you're checking a yes on all those things, please don't stop doing that and outsource other stuff. And so that's the biggest thing. Uh, founders are getting their way a lot by just for whatever reason, they stop doing what's working or they do it until it works and then they stop. Or I don't know. It's just the biggest weird thing. So that's one like thing. Shiny and object the, syndrome. Shiny object syndrome, which is true, though, because most of us are visionaries versus an integrator. And our job as visionaries is to come up with these great ideas a new way of doing a product, a new marketing idea. But that's also the thing that's going to kill us first is because we don't know how to focus and just stay down, keep your head down until you hit a million bucks. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. You are speaking to my soul right there. Been there, done that, got distracted, left this other thing, and then went back to look at the Stripe account and the Stripe wasn't striping. So in 2023, I am really focused on diving deeper into the thing I already know works, I'm already good at, until it gets in a space where it's autopilot to where I can't mess it up. It's impossible. And then I can dive into other projects. So you are definitely talking to me on that note. Um, before we get too much deeper into the episode, I think we've got to talk cocktails. This is Get Rich or Get Drunk Trying. Is that coffee in your cup? If it's not coffee. Yeah, it is. It's too early. <laughs> It's 12 o'clock, girl. I can't be drinking now. We live in Miami. I got some stuff to do. We live in Miami, okay? It ain't never too Which early. Which is true. But what is, what do you sip on when you've had a seven-figure launch? Like, talk to me. What is the gay drunk cocktail of the day? I'm always interested to know, what do rich people drink? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, too. <laughs> So I oh, really, as you can see, I'm always in a black tea. I'm big on simplicity, which is part of the uh, uh, adjacent answer to what we were just talking about on how to keep doing the same stuff and how to stay focused. So I, I am real simple in a lot of areas. And so my only two drinks are champagne and tequila. That's like yes. what I'm drinking 95% of the day. Yes. Same champagne and tequila. That is really my format. Tequila is the only upper of, of the liquors. So rum and bourbon and all that stuff is great. But tequila is the upper. That's how you keep the party always going. And champagne is always a must when we are celebrating big money moves. I am a fan of that. I knew, I knew you would have my type of energy. I love it. Y'all heard it here first, guys. We need some champagne to celebrate these exits. All right. There you go. I want to talk about fresh heritage. Like I am mm -hmm. so obsessed with what you built. That's how I found you initially. You were teaching a Shopify class and you put me on to um, the, oh, how did I just lose you? Okay, there we go. I think I'm you were touching something. Okay, so you put me on to, let me rewind just in case they need to edit that out. Okay, so I, the first time I found you was a Shopify class you were teaching and you were talking about, um, 
this system where you could do giveaways for your business. Do you remember that? I'm sure that was a few years ago. Oh yeah, UpViral. I I've been I launched like four businesses on that. I'm not gonna yeah. forget about UpViral. Yes, it was so good. I did the same thing for my business. It exploded my email list. So shout out to you for that. Um, but Fresh Heritage is how I found you. So the Shopify class led me down the rabbit hole of learning about that brand. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what you built with Fresh Heritage and then tell us about the decision to exit that business? Yep. So I'll talk about in that order. So Fresh Heritage, internally and externally, we have a different response. And so I'll tell you the internal kind of what we do. Because now my uh, my NDA is completed, and so I can talk more about what we're doing behind the scenes. So I think this is the first podcast interview that I am able to like talk about what we're building. Actually. Thank you, Jesus. So, <laughs> right. So from the outside looking in, we sold grooming products for black men, right? Think Bevel, Shea Moisture Men, all that kind of stuff. Beard care, shampoos, oils, conditioners. But from the inside looking out, from the jump, what we always wanted to do is build a community of high-performance black men. And the way we monetize it was through grooming products. But we could have done it through ties, shirts, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's a subtle difference, but it made a big difference in how we build our community and how we were able to get you know, over 3,000 people subscribed to our membership program, how we had one person buy over 46 times, how our profit margins were over 40% as a, as a brand and not a dropshipping store. Just because we never thought we were selling product. We were just trying to form a relationship with that type of high value dude or that high performance guy that has a lot of discretionary income so that we could monetize them in a way that it felt like they were giving back and they were participating in something that was bigger than them. And so it was really interesting. And so that was the thing from the jump. And why we decided to start that was because one of the things I left out of my intro is for a few years, I spent some time in M&A. I raised and helped deploy around $50 million in like capital. And personally, I've raised, you know, VC money, equity, mezzanine debt, bank debt, high net worth individual um, equity. So I've raised a lot of money. And for about a couple of years, I, I shadowed my mentor and I helped him deploy about 50, 10 to $15 million into different companies. And then I actually raised about $15 million myself to go and invest in a company. And so I had a lot of experience on the other side of M&A, like finding deals, buying them, investing in them. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be on the other side. So instead of giving checks, I was getting checks. And so from the jump, Fresh Heritage on day one was designed to sell in three to five years. Ooh. So we just started with our end goal and worked backwards. I think that that is massive. So much to talk about right there. Um, first of all, starting from the end is like my favorite thing to do in entrepreneurship. I figure out what the goal is and then I work backwards and break it down into teeny tiny steps and get it done that way. I'm a firm believer of let's just jump off the mountain and build the plane on the way down because it takes too long in the other direction. So I, I mean, nice. I had this question for you later, but let's dive into it right now. What does a person do? How do we set something up that we know we want to exit later? Because, and then is it too late? to get into it, run it for a couple of years and then want to exit? Or should we be figuring out the exit from the beginning? Great question. So one of the things that we talked about, which is important on scaling your business and most definitely exiting is having a North Star. 
That's the first thing. And so a North Star isn't really like a step. It's more like a destination you like to get in. You can get there in any which way, but with each choice or decision you make in your business, you want to ask yourself, is this getting me closer to this goal or this destination or is it leading me away from it? So having that in mind is super important, right? So that's the first thing, just being clear about the fact, hey, in two, three, four, five years, I want to sell this business. It helps you make more um, intentional decisions. And so that's the first part. The second part is, well, the second part is essentially just making sure that you have what I call um, transferability. That is, can the business run without you? Because no one is going to buy your brand if they need you to stay involved, right? You, like you mentioned, you just have a high paying job. You don't have a business. And so transferability, especially for people who have big communities online, they start off um, they start off being the face of the brand and that's perfectly fine. But over some period of time, especially if you know you're intentional about wanting to sell, you're going to have to have transferability in your business where you have systems, SOPs, and other people who help run the day-to-day. -day. Uh, so that's super important. Um, the other thing is you're going to have to have really good bookkeeping. So as founders, we oftentimes run businesses to run things through it, right? And so we have um, a bunch of expenses, phone, cars, whatever, which is all great because the tax code is set up for that. Mm -hmm. But that becomes pretty sticky when someone else is trying to buy it, right? And so there's a special process that you have to go through when you're ready to get your books in order to like be viewed by an investor, which is very different from what you do to like file your taxes or internally. So you have to have like these addbacks or SDE uh, type of books created that kind of clearly dictates how much the business is really making. For example, let's say your business makes 100 grand on paper, uh, but you're running your car note through it, your part of your apartment, whatever, whatever, right? You got like you got like $10,000 worth of expenses. Well, if you're going to sell your business, you'll get a 5x multiple off of that. So that's essentially, you know, 50K that you're just going to leave on the table just because you ain't know. So um, cleaning up your books. And then the third thing is you got to have a clear path to grow. And so you got to leave some things unturned. So that someone looking to buy your company sees a clear path for them to make some money. Oftentimes people would like max out their business and then it starts declining and they try to sell it on the downturn. It's well, no late. one's going to want to buy that. It's too late. Got it. Oh, I've so never heard that. So those are the three things. Yeah, I've never heard that. And I never would have even thought of that. Not to max out every single opportunity in the game because nobody's going to want to buy it there because there's no space for them to grow. And we definitely don't want to wait until things are on the decline to start to sell. Oh, massive guys. We got to know when it's time to leave the party. I think that is a big, 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 big takeaway for the people. Um, what? Okay. So a couple weeks ago, you had this one day e-commerce bootcamp. Loved it. It was so good. Um, Appreciate my you. Biggest, it was so good. My biggest takeaway though was thank you, God. I do not have bulk inventory. Yeah, no, thank you. I, as y'all know, I am a drop shipper. I've been a drop shipper. I will stay a drop shipper to the day I die. And going to Gamal's boot camp really drove home that I will never ever buy bulk inventory. And the reason was you were teaching about negative cash flow, and I had never really heard about that because I don't have bulk inventory. Can you like talk to the people about what negative cash flow is when they want to get into business and buy inventory to get started? Yeah, so 
e-commerce is essentially a Ponzi scheme, right? That's what you said on the boot camp. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. But it you is. explained it so well. Most people don't realize. So a Ponzi scheme is essentially something that you have to bring new money in to keep the thing going, right? And so the minute you stop bringing in new people to invest in your thing, the people who are in it already, they don't have any money to make because the thing isn't actually supporting itself. Same with e-com. So what happens is on day one, you got to buy inventory that'll come in like eight weeks, right? So two months. So between day one and two months, you've got to make money because you got to pay like 50% down. And then at the two month mark, you got to pay 100% down. Then it may take like two weeks to get here from China or wherever you're getting it. So about three months in after you've made your deposit, then you can actually start selling. But you don't just buy one month of inventory because it takes two months to get here. So you got to buy like three months of inventory. So you may not fully get your money back by like month five. And then you got to do it all over again. And so what happens is a lot of founders don't realize that all the profits between month, like day one up to month five is just being tied up to front and keep funding new inventory. And I didn't really realize this. It's weird because I was in M&A. I should have known this. I should have known better. But I didn't realize this until I had my own brand and we're at six figures a month. And then I lost my ad account and the Ponzi scheme kind of popped up. It's like a rug got pulled from under me because I no longer had a way to generate revenue and I realized all the profits that my bookkeeper said I was making was tied up in my warehouse because all the past month's worth of profits was sitting in my warehouse. And so I had no cash. And so that's the problem with e-com. And the faster you grow, the bigger that problem is because now you have to buy double the inventory if you want to double the business on today's profits, which is already thin. So that's the problem with e-commerce. <laughs> I was shedding tears for the people in the boot camp. Like, I just felt so bad for them. I didn't chime into the comments because I was like, I'm a dropshipper. This ain't my business. I don't got nothing to do um, with that. That sound rough. I would I would have muted you. Don't worry about her, guys. Don't worry about her. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and that's why I didn't say anything. But I was in tears for these people because I could only imagine how rough that is and how you're constantly having just insecurity in your business because you don't know if you have enough money to go forward, to grow, let alone to scale. Um, but for anybody who is in that position, Gamal has a ton of resources that I will link for you guys in the show notes. And he can help you and teach you how to get out of the Ponzi scheme. Uh, if you're not in that situation, I obviously advise dropshipping. I always will because it's real ghetto on that side of life. The people are stressed. They losing air. They are just in a puddle because they're trying to figure out how to pay for their businesses to move forward. Ponzi scheme that is um, e-commerce. And I was saying how grateful I am that I am not in it. And you were telling the people they should still get into bulk inventory or they shouldn't get into bulk inventory. What are your thoughts? Like what should the people know before they actually dive in and place that big uh, order? Yeah, so um, I think Drop shipping is a great place to start, I ain't gonna lie, because it you learn a lot of the fundamentals. Uh, and that's how I started essentially in um, skincare and uh, weight loss products. And by the way, I got to that 100K plus profit all with one product in the 90 days, right? And so everything I'm saying, I've lived it and I've done it. And I know it to be true. It's not like something I think of or like I, I believe, something I know, right? 
Um, and then, but I think for me, my wealth building path is to build more brands and exit them because uh, I just told you like the most value you're going to get out of a brand is the day you sell it. And I'm just uniquely experienced to like figure that out. Not a lot of people like less than one to 2% of black founders get an investor exit, whatever. And the numbers are even more skewed because it's the same people who just keep doing it, right? You see the same people raising money, you see the same people doing it. And so I'm one of those people and I have nothing wrong, no shame in my game. I'm about to keep flipping it. But at this phase, I don't want to start something from scratch. So I'm partnering with people who have existing brands because I know how to solve those issues. So I could fix the negative cash flow cycle and I could fix the systems and SOP problem because we have businesses who do this. We can implement them for ourselves. And so that's my like path. I still think it's possible. You just have to fix it because until you fix that, you can't really scale your business. You're just going to be scaling revenue, but your pockets are going to be dry. You're not going to be actually making any money to pay yourself every month. And that's no fun, right? Who wants to build a golden prison? If the homies can't have none, I could not agree more. We have to make sure that it not, we, who cares about growing followers? That's what people like to focus on. They the want vanity to have metrics, a right? big account that's very, right. That's ver uh, verified and be popping on TikTok and have all these people on your email list. Cute. That's great. Where is the money? Where and where are the funds? Where are the finances? They want to take pictures on boxes in, in a warehouse that they own. That's great. But that overhead, you and I both know is insane and none of it matters if it's not actual money that we get to keep and reinvest in the business like that's where y'all be messing up that's why i brought gamal on here to tell us the things that actually matter versus the things that look cute on instagram and I, i'll go that's such a good point and not a lot of people talk about this but even even the people with the screenshots right it's all social so nothing wrong with the big inventory shots. I got that too. But what you don't realize is that's three months worth of profits tied up into this one damn picture. Or you have the screenshots of, you know, the hundred grand months, whatever. That's cool. But how much of that did you keep? What's your profit looking like? And then even though people are talking about revenue, some people are talking about profit. What no one's talking about is what's your cash flow like? Because of that hundred grand you made, let's say you made 20K in profit. I just told you, you got to put that into inventory. So you probably made that on paper, but you had to send that out to go get a new order. Right. And so I'm not about that screenshot life. I'm about that cash flow life and making as much money as I can while living the most stress-free life I can. Voila. And there you have it, folks. That's what get rich or get drunk trying is. We want to be having margaritas at 1 p.m. on a Tuesday for no good reason, because we can like clearly i support that thoroughly um i want to talk about another thing that my students get hung up on i wonder if your students are in the same space but facebook ads you grew a massive business um utilizing facebook ads but you told me this directly that these ads ain't what they used to be and that the people should be pivoting and focusing on other ways to drive traffic and revenue. Like, can you tell me more about, first of all, why do ads suck now? And what else should people be focused on instead of ads? Yeah, and so, um, great question. And to understand this question fully, you gotta understand the difference between trends and fundamentals. And so the trends of running ads, how they used to function, that no longer works. Um, because, But they still, serve as a fundamental way to create massive awareness, right? 
And so the main reason it's different now, especially for beginners, is because before you used to be able to put $100 in some ads blindly and log into your dashboard and it would be like, great, you made 400 bucks. Well, what happened is you can't do that anymore, not because it doesn't work partially, but mostly because with the iOS update, but it's really what iOS is able to tell you. And so let's say it takes you two to three weeks to convert a customer before that dashboard used to be able to track people for a month to be able to tell you if they converted or not. Now they can only track people for a week. So if you spend the $100 on ads, but then people get paid next Friday, and then they buy next Friday, you're not gonna see that data show up on your dashboard. So a lot of beginners don't have either the bank load or the patience to wait and to invest it. They don't see the bigger picture. So it's harder now if you are unexperienced to start just because a lot of it really you have to trust yourself and have the patience to, which you haven't developed thick skin around. Now, I still think that's the best like and most cost-effective way to create massive awareness, but that can't be the thing you rely on to uh, drive sales. So you have to be actively building your email list, your SMS list, and you got to actively, what I believe, build like some way for people to come back and buy from you again. Because on the bootcamp, what I shared was there's really only three ways to grow businesses. And this is like old school methods, right? And so not all the trendy stuff. So it's really just get people to convert get them to spend more every time they convert, get them to come back and convert more. And so ads really only serve, have always served one focus is just getting new people to convert. And they work so well that no one paid attention to the other stuff. But now that it's not working so well, you got to start focusing instead of getting new customers, how can we just increase our website's conversion rate so that regardless of whoever Facebook sends, I can convert two, three times more. Or all right, now that I converted them last month, what can I do to get them to come back again so I don't have to pay for ads again, right? That's email and SMS and subscription. So there's these other things you got to start working on now as a founder to really build a real business. Mm, I think that is so important. Um, my favorite way to make money is email marketing. My biggest regret in life is that I didn't start an email list, I mean, 12 years ago of people mm -hmm. who had the slightest, foggiest interest in anything I was doing. I make the most money in my business from email marketing and my active campaign software might cost $400. Like there's just no reason that you are not printing money from your email list. These are people who are giving you access to them. They want to know what you've got going on. Um, and the other thing that I'm obsessed with is average order value. That is my favorite metric to work on all the time. And it basically means that how can I get every single person to spend more money when they are on my website? New people, old people, referred people, whoever they are. I need to constantly be working on that and um, it will make a massive change in your business. Like Gamal is saying, it ain't all about the ads. It's not all about the new people that are coming in. What can you do to service the people who are already there? And then I'm thinking about you saying that you had one customer buy from you 46 times like yeah that is insane i ain't even nowhere close to that but that is i mean if that's not loyalty if that doesn't show you that there is so much money to be made in e-commerce i don't know what is and having what do they call it like disposables products the products that you need to reorder all the time i've never been mm -hmm. in that market but damn i want to get into it 46 yeah so like i'll give you uh, I hate listening to podcasts and they tell you all this stuff, but they don't really give you an example or tell you how. And I realized I just did that. So I'll give you a very real actionable thing on 
how to increase all of those uh, all of those so the first the easiest way to increase your conversion rate and ours went from about a 1.5 to like a four so it's very possible it's like a 3x and industry standard is two y'all it's FYI. two so like if you get a hundred thousand customers visiting your site which is very realistic if you're paying ads 1500 of them convert all the way up to now 4,000 by doing nothing else same ads so Massive it's a night and day right you triple almost tripled your business so the best thing, you know, and it's not the button color or any of this stuff. It's really just answering <laughs> objections on your product page. So taking your best you product. You hit them with the button color. You know that it they ain't are a button color with the perfect lime green button color. And it ain't that. <laughs> it ain't the button color. It's not the font. It's none of that foolishness, right? It's simply understanding what your customer's pain points are and telling them this product solve it. Solve that pain point on the page. That's it. Just get straight to the point. Um, and that's what we understood. And the best way to figure that out was by um, reading our reviews and just putting our reviews into three buckets of these are the three things people care about. They either uh, talk badly about it or talk highly of it. But either way, it comes up consistently in our reviews. So this is something that's important. So for us, one of the things is, does it work? People would either say, yes, it worked or it didn't work. So right on the first line of our product page, we talk about how it works. Um, so that's one. And then the second piece is how to get your how to get people to spend more each time they buy, increasing your AOV. Ours went ours increased about twenty dollars through this stuff. So if you get twenty more dollars and then twenty five hundred more orders per month, that adds up pretty quickly. And so the best way to do this is just bundle products that help make that benefit. And so let's say in the same example, people were trying to um, fill in their patches faster. We gave them, instead of just buying one product, we gave them a suite or a bundle of products. And the purpose of this bundle was to help them get even faster results. And so we had additional things to help them get their desired results faster and easier. And then the other way is helping them come back and buy more, which is how we got someone to buy 46 times. So think about it. Let's say we spent 20 bucks on ads one time to convert this customer. They came back and bought 45 more times. How the hell did we do that? Well, that was through our subscription program and our membership uh, emails and SMS. And so those are like a dollar, 50 cents to convert them these other times, right? And so we had like a well-oiled machine that when ads converted them on the front end, we had all these things on the back end going to keep them coming and keep them coming back. Whew. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's just, just answering their objections on the product page alone. I think if y'all don't do nothing else that you heard in this episode, answering, like people do not understand how important that product page is. They want to have the most beautiful homepage website, the about us, the photography, baby, the money is above the fold on that goddamn product page. And if you can That's answer it. every reason why somebody would say no to your product, right there in your copy or in the reviews or in the feedback, you are going to print money so much faster, easier, and it costs nothing. It's free to do. Instead of pumping all that time and having the perfect ads and creating TikToks, create the perfect um, product page answering their objections. Massive, 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 massive pro tip right there. Uh, uh, one of uh, our, it's too much. One of our, so one of our mastermind students in Exit Blueprint, they paid 30 grand to get someone to update their website. Amazing website. Um, within the, we do one-on-ones to, um, for anyone who enrolls and we went through the process of just like incre increasing her, um, conversion rate, it increased a whole percent. So like from two to three, 
And so just think about that. 100,000 people to your site per month. And for free, no no development, anything. We just we just answered some basic stuff and it jumped up a whole percent. And so she was able to essentially grow her business by 50% in one conversation with spending no money just by understanding how to convert your customers better. That's it. And it didn't cost a $30,000 website development. It was free. Oh, my God. Well, it wasn't free, but it was included. I mean, the actual writing the copy part is free. And it's something that all of you guys can do at home. Massive takeaway. That is your homework for today is to update that product page and um, answer people's objections. I think it's time for a get rich tip. This entire episode has been a get rich tip. But now, okay, let's say we're founders. We're making the money. The coins are where the coins need to be. What should we be putting our money into that is going to make us more money? What is the get rich tip of the week? Good question. So is this like in business or just in life? In life. Okay. So um, a friend of mine posted about this the other day, and I'm a big believer that up until a certain point, the biggest ROI you're ever going to have is investing in yourself. And so there's, there's no stock or real estate or whatever that can consistently grow your income. Like everyone tries to skip a step, but real, the reality is you can't get rich unless you're making more money. And the best way to make more money is to just figure out how to get, grow your active income. So I double down on courses, masterminds, conferences. I'm always like spending way too much money on that stuff because all that stuff just adds to my income potential. Mm-hmm. I love that. And there's no limit there. I agree 200%. We just had Billy Jean on the last episode and he was talking about how people want to, um, they want a high yield savings account, right? They want to, they want to earn 2% interest on this thing. And he's like, forget all of that. The only thing you should be spending your money on is learning how to make more money. That's it. Until you make your first million dollars. And I agree with that so much. And now we are on Gamal's episode and he is telling us the same thing. There is no success leaves clues. Voila. But you got to pay to get the clues. You got to show up to the courses, to the masterminds, to the workshops, to to the live um, meetings to show up to be in those rooms. And the amount of money that you can make, the amount of connections and resources that you can get are invaluable. I agree with that advice. So, 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 so much. Okay. I want to talk about, well, first, before I even forget this. Did you ever think of turning Fresh Heritage into like a dating thing? <laughs> so it's funny because I'm just thinking of- about like, and this just popped into my mind. So you had a network of hundreds of thousands of upwardly mobile brothers. You ain't right. want to give us like, you ain't want to put us in for the, for the girls. You ain't want to like partner with so, somebody. So, so that was a matchmaking. That's a big part of what we did. By the way, I've connected two people who are now married with kids. So your boy, Jamal, your boy know, knows what he's doing. And I'm out here single and you ain't found your <laughs> husband? Wow. You, I ain't know. I ain't know. After the episode. We don't talk about this. Yeah. Um, so both like successful, um, both are entrepreneurs. Um, one is in Steve Harvey's um, uh, business. He's his chief of staff. And I connected him with his wife and then my other boy, he's a chiropractor, connected him with his wife. So all high, high value guys with high value women. And you but, didn't you know, want to parlay that into a service after you had this email list of all these people. 
you know, now that I now that you mention it, uh, that might be an opportunity. But like that was part of that was part of the subtle thing that we did. So remember, we didn't sell beard care products to men. Who cares about that? That's boring. What we did was build a community of high value men and high performance men. Now, building that, that is a big difference because we would have these quarterly events where we would like partner with a bar, buy out like, you know, a couple of rounds of drinks and we would do invite only. So for our VIPs and stuff, and we would also choose a select group of like women. And so we had like, you know, attractive women, high, high, also high performance women. Um, we just had a mix of really cool people. So we would have partners at law firms, some dude who just sold his business for 20 million. All these people who are in our community with these matching them with other really dope females in the same room. And so these events just became something that people were like, literally people would like find out the address and just show up and not on and not be on the <laughs> guest list. list. I'm like, and this is a beard uh. care company, right? Who is doing this? And so that was a subtle thing that we realized that part of the community we're building was creating that space for people to network with other people, both same sex and also um, different sex because Opposite. people are people, yeah, opposite sex because people were interested in dating. I think that is massive. And I think the takeaway there, because I forgot this earlier, is that folks, we don't have to focus on the product. And I know that that feels counterintuitive to what you guys know, but you do not. The product does not have to be the hero of the show. The mall is teaching you that the community and the relationship was the star of the show. And those uh, product sales were a byproduct of that relationship because people wanted to be in alignment with the beard care, you can get beard stuff everywhere, but his UVP, his differentiator is the fact that you can buy beard care anywhere, but what you won't be is a part of this exclusive community of brothers that are doing the same thing and want the same thing out of life. I think that is massive. I think that's super, super important. And especially for us as drop shippers, like we sell products that everybody has access to, but what you do have is the ability to make something different and stand out in a really unique way. And I didn't want to forget to talk about that. And the next thing I want to ask you about, I got two more questions for you before I let you get out of here. Number one, I want to talk about the Get Rich Read of the week. What is a book that you recommend that everybody on this mm. podcast be reading? I know you've read so many good ones. Is there something in particular right now that's talking to you that we should be adding to our Amazon list? Yeah, there's so many. I'm going my audible. Know, so like, right? I'll give you like, I'll give you two. That's on the top of my okay, mind. So atom Atomic Habits is just amazing for staying focused and practicing minimalism and just getting stuff done. Um, and then Who Not How is also important. It talks about, it talks about that transition as you go from like self, self founder in the growth stage to when you get the scale stage, it really is involved with like who is also in your community or your company. And so those are two good books that's on the top of my mind now for the start of 2023. Agreed. And I feel so smart because I've read them both. So there you go. Who Not How would be the one that I would vote y'all start with because when I was launching my business, um, the number one thing that held me back is I thought I had to do everything. I thought that I was the smartest person in the room. I had to figure this out and nobody else can figure it out. I would be on the Forbes list if I had started with that who not how mentality of not only should I not be doing it, I have no business doing it and I'm robbing somebody else of doing what they were put on this planet to do. Like I would be platinum if I started with that mentality. I will link those books for you guys in the show notes. I fully, fully support those too. 
And before we get out of here, I want to talk about a reel that you posted that really got mm -hmm. my attention. And you were talking about Myel Organics and how she just sold her brand to Procter & Gamble and the people are having mixed reviews, okay? The people in the blogs, they are hating, they are jealous, they are mad. And now that you've taught us so much about growing and, and scaling and exiting, can you explain a little bit about what it meant for Myel's brand to be sold and why are people really just confused when they're upset about this? Yeah, see, the point of the matter is if you wanna study the most predictable wealth building path, it's literally own assets like a business, grow the value of the thing, and then sell some or all of it, right? The top 10 richest black people, richest white people, richest people in the world, 97% of them have all done that. And so from the Jeff Bezos, who essentially did this publicly by selling Amazon, he owns less than 10% of his company, or to the private people, right? And so like the Jay-Zs who sell their companies without going public, Rihanna's, that's how they build wealth, by building something, a business and selling it. And so wealth creation, I don't believe should have like a color code. It shouldn't be like, all right, if you're black or a person of color, right. you build you wealth this, this way. way the hard way or the unproven way. And then right. if you're that, if you're this other color, then go ahead and follow the game and the blueprint. No, like everyone should follow the blueprint. So that is my belief. And that's what I'm hoping to share with other um, founders who join my, uh, my programs. Now, why people are upset. And this is big too, because we primarily built a community of black men. And so we, it was like a forest bias company. And so we thought about this when we went to sell, like, you know, the whole sell without selling out piece. Um, which is the big reason that people don't go through this process and don't like miss out on a blessing or they wait until their company is now declining to try to sell it when no one's interested. And so I think that some companies do get themselves in trouble and they deserve it when they build a brand by saying, oh, you know, we're never going to do that. Or, um, you know, we're building this thing because it's black owned. And so if you're going to say that and then go sell, I understand the outrage, but we never, we, we almost like, to, especially towards the end, we said that we're a company for uh, people of color. We never really pushed on, right. We never really pushed like, yo, it's always going to be black owned, black owned, black owned. We said it was black founded and for black men. That's a clear differentiator. So we kind of set the expectations. And then when you do go to sell, the biggest concern is that I see us on the comments where they're either selling out for Oh, that little hundred million, two hundred million. Oh, you should have kept the company to build generational. Not wealth. little. They didn't write little. They didn't write little. little. Nobody wrote you little hundred million. You sold out your your generational wealth for two hundred million. They don't well, understand. How do they think, what do they think generational wealth? What, I, I'm confused. They don't understand. Part <laughs> of it is like the money is going. They they somehow believe that you make more money after we just explained negative cash flow cycle. They they. Think that somehow having all your profit and your generational wealth tied up in the inventory in the warehouse is better than cashing out for presumably nine figures, right? And so it's a lot of, of misinformation. There is, you know, so thank you for giving me the space to talk and give more light because Jay Z said it um, a while back in an interview. His when he told his uncle he wanted to be a rapper, and his uncle was in love and in his best interest trying to talk him out of it, but it was that he was pushing his fears in jay-z and then he recognized that it wasn't malintention or mis you right. know misdirect it's just misdirected love and so i think a lot of what's going on is misinformation uh with our community and then the other thing is the formula is going to change which is probably the most valid um response but 
they don't realize formulas have always been changing. Um, they change for a variety of reasons, uh, supply chain, regulation changes. And so you can literally keep the same chemist team and uh, into Procter and Gamble and the same people who are working on your product can still move. And so I think people just think whenever you sell your business, everything is going to change and it's all going to be for the worst, just because they don't really understand what happens when you sell your company. Okay, we're back. Why would you freeze? Why? Mercury in micro braids? What is going on? That is hilarious. This is pure comedy at this point. You were saying that Jay-Z realized that his uncle loved him. He just was misinformed and giving him like his own fears. He was projecting his fears onto Jay. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, I think the line I'm paraphrasing was, my uncle told me I never sold, sell a million records. I sold a million records about a million times. And he was like, yo, my uncle had seen so many other people try and fail that he didn't want him to go through that process to fail too. But really it was his uncle projecting his fears. And so I think when I see a lot of people of color in the comments talking about this, I can tell one that they it's misguided because they don't truly understand the process of exiting and what goes into it. And um, especially when it relates to like why this is not the best path for wealth building, it's just, mis it's just misinformation. Or that the formulas are gonna change where it doesn't have to every single time you see an M&A transaction because the team building the product oftentimes can also go over to the acquiring company. And if you stay involved as a CEO to run the business, you still have say into the process. On how and things go. And with our company, particularly when we sold, we wanted to make sure that people, some people had an idea to you know, open it up to the public and make it more like an inclusive brand. But other people was like, no, the value in this brand is keeping it only for black men. And so you can sell to someone who shares your vision for the brand. And so things don't have to change. So I could tell it's just misguided information. Mm, I think that is such a good breakdown. That's so much more clear. And people, generational wealth means that they're selling so that they can use the money for their family, for the generations. That is the whole point. And never like block your own blessings. Like you said, never stay, stay down because those same people that are talking shit about you staying down are going to do nothing for you when you're on the clearance rack. They're going to do nothing for you when your business is falling apart. They will not let you sleep on their couch if you go from, you know, the top of the mountain to the bottom. So if you have the opportunity to do something that is in best interest for you as the business owner and as a person, do it, do it, do it. Because nobody, it's always going to be the has-been story. It's like, we, and we ain't got time for that. And if that's what Jeff Bezos and them ain't doing, that is not what we are going to start doing. I love that. I love that. I love that. Gamal, how can the people follow you? How can they be in contact with you? How can they get in your programs? I mean, give me everything. Cool. So um, Gamal Kadner on social, and I'll share all these things. Hopefully it'll be in the show notes. So Gamal yes, Kadner on social. I'm most active on IG and I uh, just started a YouTube channel, Kadner Co., and my website, codner.co. And so those are the two places. Yeah, I'll be on the YouTube streets. I love it. I'm in the YouTube streets now, trying. It's very ghetto over there. I got to tell you right now, it's not easy at all. I, every podcast, I talk about how I hate YouTube. It is the hardest part of my business, but I will get it done because that's what we do as entrepreneurs. That's what we do as the boss. We have to show up and show out even when we don't want to. Oh, 
Gamal, this was great. I appreciate you so much for finally showing up after I stalked you to be on the show for at least a year. It was totally worth it. I knew you were going to teach us so many valuable things. I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. And so for any of you who thought this was helpful, would love to learn more from me and what I do, check out um, either my Instagram or my website. We have two programs that essentially help six-figure founders build um, stress-free, high-profit, seven-figure brands that they can sell. And so we can go through our crash course or hang out for a year in our mastermind. We got a couple ways to serve you. Yes, highly profitable, stress-free. I mean, if those ain't the keywords, <laughs> I don't know what will inspire you. And guys, of course, I will have all this information tagged for you in the show notes, and we will catch you next week on Get Rich or Get Drunk Trying. Peace, everybody. One, two, Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you've learned something amazing, let's continue the conversation. Follow me on Instagram at get rich or get drunk trying and tell me what you took from today's show. Then tap in at get rich or get drunk trying.com to get all the details and links from today's episode. I cannot wait to get rich with you next time. Until then, peace. Bye.